coming up this week off screen. Alec Baldwin is the boss baby. Michael Caine and friends are going in style. Cannibalism gets raw. Arnie faces the aftermath. Emily Dickinson explores a quiet passion. Riz Ahmed navigates the city of tiny lights. And James Baldwin explores race in I Am Not Your Negro. All those to come and more off screen. This is this is off screen. Off screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Ooh, welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Cotter. And I am Case Arn. So, Mr. Allen, where do you want to begin? Before we get to the news, before we get to the reviews, before we get to the box office top ten, where are you going to start us from this fine week? Well, where every good week should begin... With Shia LaBeouf. Indeed. In, in Shia LaBeouf's week, uh, in Shia LaBeouf's world, sorry, every mm. week starts with Shia LaBeouf, so it's only fair. Yeah. Um, do you actually know uh, what Shia LaBeouf uh, means in Swahili? I do not know what Shia LaBeouf means in Swahili. Please tell me what Shia LaBeouf means in Swahili. It means he whose film only makes £7 at UK box office. I absolutely believe that. It's a complex mm. language. Isn't it? It is. Isn't it just? It is. Yeah. So, £7. Uh, Amiga £7. Wow. Yeah. This is the opening weekend. Yes. Wow. That's all that it made. Like, just in in my kitchen, um, I have an iron that costs more than that. <laughs> I, my microwave was definitely more than that. So, yeah. so Not a good This style. is Man Down, though. This is what we reviewed last week. Last week, yeah. This film with uh, Jai Courtney. Uh, yeah, and, and, yeah. And who is the Australian Shia LaBeouf. He is, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, Gary Oldman's in it. One of the Maras. Which, which Mara Kate was it? Kate, Kate Mara's Mara. in it, yeah. And this made £7 in its opening weekend. £7. I mean, just to put that in some kind of frame of reference, £7 made more than £7. That's very true. Yeah. So £7, the part that I, I fix it on here is that £7 means that only one person in the entire United Kingdom paid to see Shia LaBeouf's new film. Hmm. Well, and you can only imagine if that was someone that Shia LaBeouf employed <laughs> as part of some kind of crazy... <laughs> Art project that he's got going on. There is a movement afoot amongst uh, the films, the film news sphere, to find this person. And <laughs> it's I, like a manhunt. It is. I would like to yeah. uh, extend our personal invitation. If you are the one person in Burnley who, because it only showed in one cinema in Burnley, in a real cinemas in Burnley, Why Burnley? I, I don't know. They press showed it to us as if it was a wide release. Yeah. Right, we gave it the same treatment as we would any other wide and film. This is this is quite a big name cast as well. It is, so. but if you are that one person who paid to see uh, Man Down in the real cinemas in Burnley this yeah. past weekend, please, please, please get in touch because we want your review of Man Down. We we really do. If you we, are the we only need person, it, I would say, if you're the only person who paid money to see it, we of course need that person's opinion. However. They are not the only person to have seen it since, because the news that it only made £7 has attracted uh, onlookers, rubberneckers, if you will. And yeah. Not one, but two people have since paid to see it. Which, all at the same price. All, all at the same pounds, price. All in Burnley. All in Burnley, because only cinema that's showing it. Maybe we should go. Maybe we should go to this one Burnley oh, no, Apparently they are closing it out on, on Thursday. They are what, the, the cinema or the film? The, the, the film. The, the, the film wasn't that bad that it shut down the building. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean closes cinema. <laughs> I think we were saying earlier, it's not even the worst film that Shia LaBeouf's done. <laughs> that's, no. That's the hilarious part. Not by a long stretch, but um, yeah. I mean, Crystal did, did Skull is a worse movie than Man Down. Yeah, a lot of people went crazy for American Honey last year. People generally liked it, and I, I really was not a fan. Oh, good. Okay, I'm glad we could sort of agree on that one. Yeah, but, I mean, know. every now and again, we, we share an opinion. But 
unless something drastic happens in the next 24 hours, Mandan will finish its run in UK cinemas with a grand box office haul of £21. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's an interesting, uh, interesting phenomenon. So, can we talk about something that I hope makes a lot more money? Uh, if you wish. I have heard of this film, and all I know of it is that it's got uh, Riz Ahmed. And- it's got Riz Ahmed and Billy Piper. Yeah, actually, yeah, I did hear that Billy Piper was in it. Well, yeah. so this is The City of Tiny Lights, which comes to us uh, from uh, Pete Travis, who directed Dread, who directed uh, Vantage oh, Of course, Boy. yeah. So obviously, we know he's got he's got geek cred. He's got action thriller thread, mm. uh, thread cred. I don't know if he did uh, Vantage Point. Am I still thinking? Am I thinking about the Dennis Quaid? Yeah, the one that was yeah. from multiple perspectives, Rashomon with camcorders. Mm. Yeah, and good inter- idea. Interesting film. Uh, not brilliantly entertained, but it was an interesting idea. I think it, it was a good premise. Was Matthew yeah. Fox in that? I think so. Yeah. Um, so this is basically a sort of contemporary British spin on the old noir detective tale. So imagine Philip Marlowe in East London. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's basically North London, sorry, is what you've got here. Um, this comes from the novel The Same Name by Patrick Neat, who has actually written the screenplay as well. So the author has actually done the screenplay. And basically you've got Riz Ahmed as Tommy Actor for the longest time. I kept thinking they were calling him Tommy Actor. As, as, in, as in Tommy the Actor. As in like the fast show. John oh, Actor yeah. is Monkfish. Yep. I kept thinking, are they calling him Tommy Actor? But it's not Tommy Actor, obviously. And uh, so Tommy Actor is a low-level uh, London private investigator who is hired um, hired by a call girl to find her missing friend. And in looking for the missing friend, which he resolves relatively quickly, he then finds himself neck deep in a murder investigation that has ties to terrorism, that has ties to um, a, an Islamic uh, youth centre, which itself has ties to terrorism. Alexander Siddiq turns up because why not he's he's out there nowadays and um and, and also an incident from his own past uh which happens to coincide with the former love of his life the unrequited love of his life re-entering the picture as it were we've got a trailer clip a flatmate a client yesterday never came home well it's 300 a day plus expenses i charge 300 an hour i'm in the wrong game you have no idea So what's the mission, bruv? You're on the cover, so hold it down. Say nothing. So Riz Ahmed there in City of Tiny Lights, and I've got to be honest, this really wowed me. I didn't expect much, I didn't expect anything from it, really, and I was really wowed by it. So, it's witty, it's edgy, it's interesting, it's gripping, it's fun. Riz Ahmed has got, like, do you remember The Last Boy Scout with the, with Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans? The Bruce Willis, yeah, yeah. of course. Shane Black. Exactly, Shane yeah. Black one. How Bruce Willis really nailed the whole witty side of the of the noir detective thing. Riz Ahmed doing the same kind of thing here, and it's brilliant. Sounds good. Billy Piper, sort of a likable love interest. The story is is compelling, it's twisty, it's turning. The only downside to it is the flashback element of it, which is the, the tragedy from his youth, is a bit predictable. You, you kind of know where it's going, and because you know where it's going, you kind of know how it ties into the sort of present-day stuff. You know how that's going to be resolved as well. But other than that, it's actually really, really interesting. Um... There is uh, Roshan, uh, Roshan Seth, who plays uh, Tommy's father, plays Riz Ahmed's father, absolutely steals the show. Mm. Witty, wry, kind of uh, cricket-obsessed father character. 
really loved him in it. I like Alexander Siddig getting to twirl his, pres- his proverbial moustache, as it were. <laughs> he is bearded, incidentally, because, of course, he is. He's Alexander Siddig. Um, and this is the thing. I, I liked um, Pete, how Pete Travis handled it for the most part, which is, you know, to, to give it sort of a, a wide berth for the story to, to unfurl the Philip Marlowe-esque side of it. He loses his way a little bit with some in-camera sort of atmospheric effects. But other than that, it's actually pretty interesting. Riz Ahmed is a genuinely captivating lead. I know you're a fan of the guy. Well, of course. I mean, because I like... He's great. I didn't really know him from anything until he was in Four Lions. And and then since, he obviously turned up in Rogue One. He's in Girls now, the sixth season of Girls. Yes, I've heard about that. He's, um, he was in a show called The Night Of, which was a oh, yeah, series on HBO. And that's got him... Yeah. And he was in Jason Bourne. We forgot that. Yeah, he... Played a really small part in Nightcrawler as well, and it was really he great. He did. You reminded me of that, actually. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so... It's just, it's great. I feel like, yeah, like, the tail end of next year... No, tail end of this year, sometime next year, mm. he'll be signed for some kind of massive franchise. I like, ha- as, I hope so. as his own, like, he'll be Nightwing or something. <laughs> that would be that perfect, would be a, wouldn't it? He'd be a, such that a good, be good wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, I feel like that'd be perfect. Um, I really loved him in this. Um, I think people would enjoy this. If you like a good old-fashioned detective story, but you want it with a contemporary British flavour, check this out. Check Riz Ahmed out in it. It is really something. You don't expect it. It comes out of nowhere, and it really, really delivers. I was genuinely surprised by it. So uh, let's plug the podcast then before we finish this block then because we're not going to we're not going to fit all of our films in this week and I've, I'll be honest with you I've deliberately kept one of the biggies for the podcast extras. No, you, you tease. I am. Oh, I I know what it is. It, it's quite passion. I can see. Yeah, it's quite passion. Oh, yeah, yeah, we all know how people really want to talk about a quiet passion. You know, Emily Dickinson she pulls in the punters, man. It's all that they can talk about on BBC News. Yeah, of course. Yeah, there is of course also Raw, the French cannibal movie which reduced people to needing medical assistance at uh, was it Toronto. Yes, Toronto, where they had emergency. Uh, some services. people were being sick, yeah. and it was it was a whole thing. Yeah, wasn't it? So we're saving raw and quiet passion for the podcast extras, along with all the extra film news and the moment of cage. So if you want that, pop along to iTunes, Acast, Deezer, TuneIn, uh, onscreenfilm.com, Go in the off-screen section. Download the free podcast edition, which comes with loads of extra goodies, with the latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen. The on-screen radio show. And we're back. So, Mr. Allen, do you want to give me a piece of film news real quick before we do the top ten? Uh, yeah, okay. This kind of came out of nowhere, mm-hmm. but I guess in a way, not that much of a surprise. Uh, so, Sylvester the Stallone, as oh. it's called. Sylvester uh, of Stallone. Sylvester of the Stallone. Of the, of, Stallone of the, new, of the Philadelphia Stallones. <laughs> yes, of the Philadelphia Stallones. Uh, he's left... The Expendables. Yes, I heard this. Yeah. He's, he's quit due to... Is it creative differences? I think is the actual reason. But it's actual creative differences, rather than it just being an excuse. Yeah, rather than that just being the go-to, everyone hates each other. R- rather, than it being, rather than it being, he offended my wife. Creative differences. Yeah, well, he's... Yeah, you know. the, the issue the same, I'm just saying creative differences stuff. But uh, yeah, because obviously he is sort of a driving force behind well, it. He's, he's, uh, he's written all of them. them all. Yeah. He directed the first one. Mm-hmm. I think Simon West did one of them, and... Simon West. I think and he did then, the second one. I think Simon, Simon West did the second one, and then I forget it's an Australian, low-level Australian director. The, the, the third. Yeah, I, I forget his name. I found, but, but uh, yeah, weird. It's West Stallone. I mean, um, I mean, yeah. now we just that part is now open for Nick Cage to be <laughs> true. The the producer new Christmas or whatever his name is Harvey Lerner, who's the producer who has had yeah, these greater yeah. differences with Stallone, has because they're both very is, upfront is, about is it. Is Stallone Christmas or is that Statham? Uh, Chris, Lee Christmas is Lee Jason Christmas. Statham. Yeah. 
Barney... Barney Ross is Barney Sylvester Ross. Stallone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Arnie Lerner and Sylvester Stallone are both quite open about their relationship, and they have said on many occasions in the past, look, we disagree a lot, but usually these things tend to resolve themselves. So there is a history of this happening. Ari Lerner has now turned around and said, look, we're having that again. And, you know, he, he says he's walked away, but as far as I'm concerned, it, this will probably resolve itself like He'll it always come does. Back, yeah. And fair enough. Ari Lerner, though, has a history of really, really not getting on with people. He's a very, very big, big name in the producing world, isn't he? He's sort of like a Joel Silver kind of a presence. He has a grudge with uh, Steven Seagal going back about 20 years. Because that's why Seagal has never agreed to be in an Expendables movie. Yeah, but so has everyone who hates uh, Ponytails. Well, there is that. Including me. Come come fight me, Seagal. Come fight me. (laughs) Do you know what? I think I don't. Think oh, you can't because he's too busy in America. He wouldn't make it through the be, door frame to be now. a cop. Yeah, exactly, he yeah. wouldn't. And like I, I've, I'm quite a quite a tall, tall fellow, but I yeah. feel like I could be quite, quite sprightly. I think, I think it came down to you and Cigar. My money's on you, man. You'd whoop some ass. Yeah, cheers. Yeah. So, box office top ten. Why not? Number ten. Peter K's car share. Did you get invited? Because I didn't. I didn't realise this was having a theatrical <laughs> It's not. Release. It's Peter Kay's K- K- car share. A second series celebration. So it's not the second <laughs> series or anything, is it? It's just like a... I don't know. They did some big live thing. And um, it was on at the arena. Maybe this is it. But maybe they, uh, they filmed it live. Uh, you know, but, um, I don't know. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, he's basically just the northern uh, Mick P. Flanagan. So... You know, it's, it's really all there is to Look, he wrote six hours of good television 15 years ago. Phoenix Nights? Yeah. Oh, it's great. Do we, do we really need to keep indulging him after that? I think for that, he gets a lifetime pass. Yeah, he gets a lifetime pass for that. Yeah, but then again, when I was at school and at college, he made my life a living hell, meeting anyone who wasn't from Yorkshire. Oh. Because we were all like, you're from Yorkshire? Cheesecake. And I was like, yeah, I get it. Number nine. Life. Oh, Life. Oh, life. Oh, life. <laughs> Mr. Allen, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, um, I mean, this yeah, is... Get, get, out of, get out of my house, Desiree. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is really uh, dropping out quick, isn't it? I mean, this... this yeah, shame. I feel, I feel like it was a good... Good idea, good premise. And, good idea, uh, good premise. Not, it's not stuck for landing. So much. It's it's not quite as expertly crafted as you. I mean, it's well made. But it's not quite as if, as efficiently delivered as as you want it to be. It neither le- it leans into neither the science fiction or the horror elements that it should, and it doesn't really grip as a result. It, it's one of those that you come out after ninety minutes thinking that was passable, I suppose. I mean, I liked the. Uh, you know, the very strange beat that it took at the end. Fair, although it was a bit predictable, and I felt like Rebecca Ferguson was kind of wasted in it. Number eight. Logan. Anything else you can say on Logan at this stage? Because I'm all out, really. Yeah, I think I am as well. It, it's really good. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. yeah. People stop seeing it now, because it's made enough money, and then it'll come on home release, and I can watch it more at home. Yeah, exactly. We, we want it on Blu-ray now, so please stop seeing it, and, and just allow it to filter the home release. Number seven. Free Fire. Which I really enjoyed. I thought it was kinetic. I thought it was fun. I thought it was energetic. I thought it had serious sense of wit and really explored its own action conventions. I really liked it. I thought the cast were terrific. I thought Charlotte Copley and Jack Rayner were having their own sort of face-off uh, who could steal the film outright. And I think Jack Rayner kind of won. Not not particularly sure. I think Jack Rayner won. I mean, he won for me just after being in uh, in Sing Street. He's so good at that. He is great. Yeah. No, no woman can truly love a man who listens to Phil so, Collins. Um, can I just give you the log line for Ben Wheatley's next film? Go on, because I've heard something about this. Yeah. Go on. Um, his next film uh, is going to be called Freak Shift. It's going to star um, Alicia Vikander and Army Hammer. The premise is a woman with two giant guns who works for police fights giant monster crabs. Wow. Just 
Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll give him the money for that. He's, he's done two good ones in a row. I'll, I'll definitely give him my ticket money for that. Number six. Tonk. Two Brie Larson films back to back, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, yeah it sort of madness. happened unexpectedly, didn't it? Oh, she's, she's like buses, isn't she? <laughs> she's <laughs> like buses. Yeah. That's, that's her middle name, Brie. Brie Buses Larson. She's a very pretty bus, if she's like buses. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I liked her in, in Skull Island, even though she had very little to do. Um, same reason I liked Tom Hiddleston in Skull Island, even though he had very little to do. But I really, really liked John Goodman and John C. Riley in, in Gong Skull Island. They own this film outright, yeah, which right. is... I thought they had a bigger presence than Kong himself, as it were. Um, but I, I liked the film on the whole. I thought it did the, the sort of 60s, 70s, B-picture, monster fast thing really well. But with, you know, modern flair, a bit of contemporary uh, jazz in there. And I liked the parallel between the um, <clears throat> the American withdrawal from Vietnam and, obviously, certain current military, more recent military uh, situations around the world. I thought that was quite cleverly done. So, uh, some news for me real quickly then, Mr. Allen. What do you got? Um, Sigourney of Weaver. Sigourney of, of, of Weaver. Yeah. Of the New England Weavers. The New England Weavers. <laughs> we're making these I'm, up. I'm going to see if you can do this every time. Okay, we're it's making these up. We don't know yeah. for sure. <laughs> uh, she has now said that <clears throat> Avatar Part 2 will be shooting this fall slash autumn if you're an English person. Oh, I'll believe it when I see it. As will I. I'll believe this, it when I see I it. I mean, Father's under the Bill and Ted 3... Exactly. Cabinet. Yeah, <clears throat> it's under the Austin Powers Four. Uh, yeah, campaign. this time let's go eighties. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is it going to be eighties next time? Yeah, yeah, it would have to be, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it's, and that's like the only one we've not really done. And I just want there to be an Austin Powers movie set in the nineties where it's really miserable and depressing. Where it's, it's just, just like, like it's just in Seattle. Yeah, it's in Seattle. Everyone's wearing flannel shirts and they're kind of unshaven. <laughs> they just yeah, sat around all, doing nothing. All listening to like Mud Honey. Or yeah. some other grunge band. M- Mike Myers just looks like a sort of unkempt version of his Love Guru character. Yeah, uh, yeah, that would work. Yeah, I'd, I'd, that, I'd that, that I would see. I don't know if I mean I'm I'm sure I will see Avatar too. I'm not going to be that guy that's going to be like, oh, I'm not going to see it because I'm I'm going to see I'm it. Going to see it. Of course, see I am, it, of course. But, you know, it's but, a James Cameron movie. So James, yeah, exactly. It could be yeah. James Cameron again in a submarine for three hours, and I'm still going to go see it. <laughs> exactly. James Cameron movie, you've got my money. So um, let's talk about a film that uh, I think, well, I mean, apparently did quite well in the US this last weekend. Yeah, and, it was uh, the number one film, it, uh, beating it uh, Ghost in the Shell, which didn't do Didn't do great. very well didn't at do, all, uh, and, uh, no. also beating the beast, beating the beast. It's got enough. It's got, I think yeah. it's got all the money already. I think so. at last count it was 900 million, so it'll be, it'll be crossing a billion. So. Oh, God. So, The Boss Baby, which stars Alec Baldwin as a baby who's a boss. So, the central idea is you've got you've got a seven-year-old, uh, seven-year-old boy named Tim, who, uh, he's basically got it made, you know, he's an only child, pampered by his parents. He, he goes off into these Rugrat-style flights of fancy. You know where they, they imagine, like, the living room to be a pirate ship, and, you know, mm. the, 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 the couch is a mast, and, like, the fantasy sequences from Rugrats. He lives his life like that, and then one day, his parents bring home a baby. Although Tim swears that he sees the baby get out of a cab that pulls up to the curb, but no one quite seems to believe him. The baby, of course, is dressed in a business suit and carries a briefcase, and basically takes over the house more or less quite, more or less instantly. Um, what soon emerges is that the baby is doing this deliberately, that rather than actually just controlling his parents he's managing them he is basically a corporate capitalist big dog the ultimate the ultimate business manager and uh, he's actually an undercover agent who's been sent there to, <laughs> to investigate and prevent puppy corp 
the worldwide conglomerate corporation that runs puppies from sure. <laughs> unleashing a new proto-puppy who will consume all the world's love and take it away from babies. I know this sounds bizarre. Here's a clip. Who are you? Let's just say I'm the boss. The boss? You're a baby. You wear a diaper. You know who else wears diapers? Astronauts and NASCAR drivers, that's who. It's called efficiency, Templeton. The average toddler spends, what, 45 hours a year on the potty? I'm the boss. I don't have that kind of spare time. So as you can hear, Jack Donaghy is back. Yeah, I actually really like the premise of this. The premise is I really the trailer good. was silly, mm. and then we made a Glengarry Glen Ross Exactly, reference. but the cookie down. Cookies are for closers. Genius. And you know what? That's the stuff that really makes it work. When it does, when it plays on the gimmick of the baby who's controlling everyone's lives is actually doing it on purpose, Mm. that stuff is actually really clever. And you kind of wish that that was the movie. In the way that The Secret Life of Pets had more appeal before it got to its let's just go on a road trip adventure kind of thing. When it was about the day-to-day ennui, the the, the day-to-day lives of these random pets, and it was really, really funny. But this has the same kind of thing where it falls apart as soon as they have to go on the obligatory adventure. You're thinking, no, don't do that. I've been enjoying the the, the actual in-the-house stuff with the family. That's funny. The idea of one brother trying to take down the, the older brother trying to take down the new the new younger brother, that stuff actually really works. And Alec Baldwin is so perfectly cast. And of course you know he's perfectly cast because you've seen him do this for seven years on TV. And they obviously know it because they've even given him his sidekick from the series back to be the villain for this. So Steve Buscemi is the villain, who, of course, was his private eye sidekick character in, in yeah. 30 Rock. And oh, I just want to watch 30 Rock. Well, funnily enough, the director, so of this, the, the director and the writer of this, of this movie do have ties to Parks and Recreation, hmm. of all things. Not specifically 30 Rock, but Parks and Rec. So there is sort of a lineage in there. Um, like I say, I mean, it's going to amuse the kids. I mean, it'll, because, you know, it'll enchant the kids because it's full of whimsy and it's got... It plays like Gendy Tartakovsky does a Rugrats riff. And I'm cool with that. There's some great uh, Tartakovsky, almost Samurai Jack-style fantasy sequences where they're ninjaing through the house that are great. Um, some of the supporting characters are, are quite amusing. The problem is that basically the entire second half of the film isn't a patch on the first. And when they're in the house and they are the two brothers at war, that's funny. And that's the stuff the parent. And I know funny. <laughs> I know funny. I have a pie chart, and you know, and that's the thing. That's the stuff that the parents are going to watch and laugh themselves senseless at. But the thing is, the kids are going to be amused. The kids are going to be amused by that first half as well. So why not just have kept it going? It's it's a real shame. I mean, the film really drops the ball by simply being a bit too ordinary for its second half. It seems to have been aimed at. 30 rock-obsessed parents of young children, which might be the most niche audience you've ever heard of. I mean, I mean, unless you, you and Cassie are going to start having kids anytime soon, that's not really an audience that's going to grow any more than it already is. No, but when my kids are of age, um, I will introduce them to <laughs> Jack Donaghy and <laughs> Kenneth. <laughs> Sit down, kids. We need to talk to you about Kenneth Parcell. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? This man is called Tracy Morgan. <laughs> yes, this is Tracy Morgan, and uh, brace yourselves. The latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen. And we're back. So, Mr. Allen, where to next? I think we should return to the UK box office top ten for part two of the UK box office top ten. Number five. 
Digimon. The Digimon. <laughs> Was it v- v- VR Troopers? Because you know what's happening next. You know what's going to Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that's all going to happen. I, I, I am waiting for the... I want a gritty reboot of VR Troopers now. If, if I, that's I need... Be a thing. I need me a live-action Biker Mice from Mars starring oh. The Rock, Vin Diesel, <laughs> and some other guy. <laughs> some other guy. And, and John Cena. And John Cena. John Cena, yeah, that'll definitely. do. That's what I need. Uh, but yes, I I, uh, <laughs> I I liked some of Power Rangers and disliked others. Um, the problem, I think, with Power Rangers is it, it seems to have no idea who its target audience are. And it's because it, it's, it's too silly for grown-ups. It's too kind of corny for teenagers, in that way that a lot of these things are. And it's too scary for kids. Mm. And it's an hour and a half of Let's Do Chronicle again, and then half an hour of Spidey Meets Pacific Rim. None of the characters are particularly memorable. And... You come away just thinking, well, you know what? At least Elizabeth Banks was having fun, and Brian Cranston got to be a virtual head in a wall. So I'm sure that's always ever wanted. Yeah, I mean that version of Zordon seems to be animated by the same people who do all the props on Krypton in Man of Steel. Right. You know the uh, yeah. the pinboard stuff. Mm. Yeah, it seems to be like that. And uh, you know what? At least it's got Bill Hader in it, so it's not a complete loss. Number four. Get out. Best one we you think best film of the year so best far? Definitely. I think it's definitely. definitely going to be in the top ten at the end of the year. I would be shocked if it wasn't. Put it this way, I, yeah, I actually... would have to have, like, <clears throat> ten pretty tremendous films. I actually... I want to live in a world where it's not in the top ten of the year, because that would be a great year. But, um, no, I mean, Get Out is just... It's so good. It's so good. It's well-performed. It's really, mm. really well-written. It's been two weeks since I've seen it, and I've thought about it nearly every day. This <laughs> is... It's so good. I was stood around Universal waiting for uh, Raw to start the other day, and they had the trailer on the big monitors. And yeah, I really, really want to see that again. It's just, it's just such a good contemporary horror spin. I really like its its sense of social satire. Mm. I like the cleverness that's in its screenplay. I like the keen eye that Jordan Peele has for different kinds of of horror themes, for different horror tropes, for the kinds of scares that he works with. And I really, really like Daniel Kaluuya as uh, as the hero. But of course, you know, it's all about our boy Bradders. All about Bradders. All about Bradley Whitford, man. Number three. Smurf again. Smurf again, Smurf three, Smurf again. That would work. Yeah, that really would work. Wouldn't Smurf it? harder, Smurf uh, harder with a vengeance. <laughs> Smurf three, Smurf harder, <gasps> Smurf hard with a vengeance. Yeah, because I, I yeah. just said that. Did you say that? I just. I'm said so. That. I'm so it's, sorry. It's okay. I mean, we we worked together for so long. Now. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, so uh, if you've got a five year old kid, you know they're, they're going to love this, um, and you'll get a nice nap out of it. Um, that, that's that's really it. And I guess Julie Roberts is in it. I mean, briefly. So who, who does she play? Oh, Mama Smurf, I think. Or, right. or I, I don't know the Mama Smurf type character. Some Smurf. Because Mandy Patinkin is Papa Smurf now. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. Is that not the most obvious casting ever? Who was it? Was it like Ned Ned Beatty or? Somewhere? I have no idea. I always thought Mandy Patinkin was great though. He is great, yeah. but I always thought he, it was a shame that James Brolin. Possibly, yeah. yeah. But uh, oh, well. number two, Ghost in a Shell. Well, let's see. It's a lot more simplistic than you'd expect it to be narratively. But by God, do they double down on the spectacle? I mean, this has got scope. It's got grandeur. It's got some really cool visuals. You won't have seen anything like it. And if you're going to see it, you absolutely must, must, must see this in IMAX 3D. It looks amazing. And you know, this this. Scarlett Johansson in a, 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 a form-fitting white bodysuit that I'm sure is going to play well to both the cosplay crowds mm. and 15-year-old boys. The only thing is, 
evidently there really isn't that much of an audience for this. Uh, because you look at the amount of money it's made in the US, and it kind of confirms what we said going into it, which is where's the fan base for this? Uh, why have you spent $120 million on this? And the answer, obviously, is China, which also then suggests a deeper problem because it seems to indicate that Paramount can't tell the difference between the Chinese and the Japanese, which is concerning. And you know what, though? Pilo Ashbeck great in it loved him love uh, Takeshi Kitano he's great he's, yeah, he's got, yeah. got a sort of uh, Asian Brando thing going on and you know who I didn't get to mention last week Chin Han mm. you know Mr. Lau from The Dark Knight oh yeah, yeah. He's, he's got a small role in this and Juliette Binoche very, yeah, very likable yeah. as well but uh, oh, she she is uh, uh, Chocolat isn't she she, she is she, yeah. she's I'm as doing, sweet I'm, as Chocolat I'm, I'm doing the Homer Simpson thing where I just think that the characters are called the films so. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. dear diehard <laughs> So when you see Bradley Whitford, oh, Mr. Get Out! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, this is the thing. Um, if you want a good bit of, you know, if you want a new bit of cyberpunk action, and that is, you know, that does have its fans, then obviously this is, is it's kind of the only game in town, but it really is something to behold visually. Number one. We are guests. We are guests. Put ourselves to the test. Um, some Scottish guy. Trying to be some French candlestick. <laughs> right. Uh, being right. Um, I saw a really funny picture the other day. Um, a, a meme, as the kids are calling it nowadays. Oh, I thought it was meme. Okay. Cool. Meme. A meme. Uh, it, was, it was a photo of some cinema in America, and there was like a billboard outside this cinema, and there was uh, Beat the Beast, uh, Ghost of Shell, and Power Rangers, and then the caption was, What year is it? <laughs> It's true, isn't it? Yeah. But we kind of said that as Weird. we were as we were doing the top ten last week. Is that there was a lot of nineties retro stuff well, last 90s week. Nostalgia, yeah, yeah. Um, I think with Beauty and the Beast for me. I mean, by the way, can I just start by saying it's dropped out of the top ten this week. But the uh, Secret Cinema Moulin Rouge events. I'm annoyed about that because I actually did go and watch Moulin Rouge last weekend. Yes, I forgot to ask you about that because you had never seen it. I had never so, seen it. I mean, it. We, we spoke about Beauty and the Beast. We'll talk about it next week when it comes. Can we just say Beauty and the Beast is great? Yeah, we'll it's come great. back to it in a minute. We'll come back to Tell it. Tell me about Moulin Rouge. Uh, I thought it was very good, um, yeah. but uh, Hugh McGregor is awful in it, and its villain oh, is what? It's, and his villain is atrocious. Oh, the Duke. That's kind of a point. Yeah, Richard Roxburgh is terrible. And he should never be a bad guy in anything. He should never be in anything. Oh, but he has some of the best lines in that film. Terrible, terrible, terrible. It's movie. a little bit funny. <laughs> <laughs> it was all about Jim Broadbent and Johnny Legs. Oh, it's all yeah. about. It's, it's always all about, about Johnny, Johnny Legs, Legs, man. Johnny He's so Legs, good. And also David Wenham for a very brief period. Oh, yeah. Playing Audrey. So, back yeah. to Beauty and the Beast then. Mm. Um, loved it. Loved every second of it. Loved the music. Loved the performances. Loved the. the, the love LeFou. Love LeFou. Um, love the. Really love uh, 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 Luke Evans. Yeah. Really love Luke Evans in it. Um, the problem I have with it is largely the visual effects on the Beast, which are weird, and I don't get why you wouldn't go practical, yeah. because they can't make it work digitally. I don't know, it's a bit uncanny valley, but... Yeah. yeah. I can't, I, you know what, you said that before, and I, it's hard to dispute that. That can't, kind of is it. Yeah. So, some news for me real quick then, sir. I want this news to be true. Okay. And Michael Keaton may be the bad guy in Dumbo. He's in talks. He is officially he in talks. He is officially in talks. It's a good chance. I think it's a good chance just because he's had such a good relationship with Tim Burton. So I just feel like mm. the opportunity to do that, and of course he is now in-house sort of at Disney yep. because of certain man spider. Disney are really lining up this recurring talent pool. And they? I love that. I love that because it may mean that we'll see uh, Oscar Isaac in a actual Marvel film at some point. I mean, it might also mean that we may eventually get to see the on-screen team that we've all been dreaming of, which is, of course, you know, Alan Tudyk and Josh Gad, 
we we all need that. When is Josh Gad going to be in a Star Wars film? Because I feel like oh, it's going to happen. It's, it's going to happen. happen, and like, he's, he's going to be. He's got to be in a Marvel film at some point. He's got to be like the best friend. <laughs> I think it'd be like when we finally make a film of like about. Namor. I think that's what we need. We need Luke Evans to be Namor. Oh, that's good cast, isn't it? That we need Josh Gad to just be like his mate. Yeah, that works. <laughs> I'm not very familiar with Namor. So. Namor and his friend Blamor. Yeah, and Fish Guy. <laughs> when Aquaman comes out people actually like Aquaman it's like the first DC film that people really truly like mm. then Neymar will get greenlit but yeah Michael Keaton is the dumb brother this is what Tom yes. Hanks was in talks for yeah and obviously that's uh, now kind of fallen through which is a shame because yeah. you never see Tom Hanks as a bad guy no it would have been interesting so uh, yeah but then again I would much prefer to see Michael Keaton re-team with Tim Burton and I like the way the rest of the cast is right now I think this is a good idea and I've enjoyed the lot I mean I hate to say it, but I've really enjoyed the last couple of Tim Burton films. No, that's 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 not a bad thing. I, I liked, have as I well. Liked Big Eyes. I liked uh, Miss Peregrine. Yep, as did I. Yeah, I think I think that kind of tone would really work for Dunbar. I think, in, in my opinion, I think Tim Burton has. I, I think it's a good thing he had a couple of a couple of, of noticeable flops that obviously yeah. knocked his confidence slightly, and I think that might be a good thing because he's obviously come back more focused, making leaner, smaller films. Yeah, and it works. He's choosing properties that he really yeah. likes. I like that about, about it. So I'm, I'm down with it. I'm totally down with that. I can't yeah. wait to see what he does with with them. But the idea of Tim Burton actually doing a Disney film is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I do think I'd be saying that after Alice in Wonderland. But well, I'm just, here we are. Side. And you're Michael Keaton for any film. Yeah, exactly. Any now, film. The Spider-Man trailer is owned by Keaton. Really. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. can try all he wants, but we're all watching those three little bits be, of... Yeah, like, never thought I would be so into Vulture. Like, I, 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 <laughs> I I've always liked Vulture, but... Oh, no, I've never found him an entertaining character, but Michael Keaton as Vulture signed me up. They can do any Spidey villain now, I feel. Oh, of, they, they really Vulture. can. Who, who was the hunter again? Craven. Craven. Someone suggested Jason Momoa for Craven. Which... I, think I said Nick Offerman to someone. <laughs> that would actually work. That would work. Yeah. Same John Bernthal's been taken up on the TV side. But... Oh. I know. Come on, that'd be amazing. <laughs> I yeah. know. But Oh, by the way, speaking of Michael Keaton's villains, can I just ask, have you ever seen the film Desperate Measures? That's not the Harrison Ford one, is it? No, no, that's... I think that might be... Uh, is that Extreme Measures? No, that's Extreme yeah. Measures is Hugh Grant. I thought Extreme Desperate. Measures was one with uh, Harrison Ford and uh, Brendan of Fraser. Yes, the, there is that one. Uh, the one I'm thinking of, though, Desperate Measures, Desperate comes measures. from about 1997-98, and it has Michael Keaton as an incarcerated serial killer who is tasked... Uh, is basically is, is identified as the only bone marrow donor who can save the life of an FBI agent agent's son and uses the experience to escape in a maximum security hospital and yeah that sounds great it is do you know what who else is in it the fbi agent is andy garcia oh i'm in and the doctor trying to save the son marcia gay harden (laughs) whom i'm I'm just a fan of oscar winner marcia gay harden is she an oscar winner yeah she won for pollock Ah, supporting actress. Amazing things you forget. Mm-hmm. So let me talk then about uh, another almost Oscar winner, but not quite. I Am Not Your Negro, which is the documentary. Not so much a documentary. It is more like a performance art piece. Mm. And uh, I'll play you a clip in a second, because there's not really a plot to it as such. It's based on an unpublished manuscript by James Baldwin, who was a, sort of a social critic in the 60s. Um, a black man who spoke out on issues relating to civil rights. And in this case, what he's done is his manuscript talks about the the black experience in America 
and it really talks largely about uh, his experience alongside his friends, uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, and, and several others that come into the mix. Uh, we've got a clip of his appearance on a talk show. Uh, speak, he speaks opposite a white expert who really doesn't think there's, there's much you need to focus on in this civil rights thing. It might just all be in your head. So why must we always concentrate on colour or religion or this? There are other ways of connecting men. I'll tell you this. When I left this country in 1948, I left this country for one reason only, one reason. I didn't care where I went. I might have gone to Hong Kong, I might have gone to Timbuktu, I ended up in Paris, on the streets of Paris, with $40 in my pocket on the theory that nothing worse could happen to me there than it already happened to me here. You talk about making it as a writer by yourself, you had to be able then to turn off all the antenna with which you live because once you turn your back on this society, you may die. You may die. And it's very hard to sit at a typewriter and concentrate on that if you're afraid of the world around you. So, James Baldwin there. And I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know an awful lot about James Baldwin before this film. I am fascinated by the man now. Oh, God, yes. This man had just... Even his most offhand observations have such immense pathos behind them. And Raoul Peck, a Haitian filmmaker, not, we don't really know an awful lot of his work, has really found a way to bring all this to life. So what he's done is he's got Samuel L. Jackson to read out the manuscript. That is basically it. Samuel L. Jackson reads a 30-page manuscript, and he does it in this calm, very considered Jackson, way. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, not the usual, uh, yes, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell kind of a way. He has done this in a measured, very considered tone, and he brings it to life. But he brings it to life with the aid of some fantastic archival footage that Raoul Peck has managed to manage to unearth. And the stuff in there that you honestly wouldn't think, it manages to paint quite an interesting portrait of both Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And his opinion on both is, is very much a, a, a case of contrasting ideals. Um, it has a lot to say, not so much about, uh, about just the black experience during the civil rights movement, but also how little things have changed in the half-century since. So, they, for instance, they cut to footage of Trayvon Martin, for instance. They right. cut to Ferguson, Missouri. They cut to very contemporary, very now events. And they show you that this actually does have its roots in this going back. And you think, wow, okay, there's a lot to consider with this film. It, this is one of those films that you can go and see with a group of friends, and the rest of your night you can more or less just book off for discussion. And deservedly so. It is a tremendous piece of work. It has some great music behind it. It has a fantastic style to it. It is very much... It, 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 it's, it's amazing to me that this did not win Best Documentary. It is astounding to me this did not win Best Documentary. And when you look at it alongside OJ Made in America, it becomes a little bit mystifying, actually. I loved Made in America. Mm. Absolutely Still loved that. Still not seen it. Uh... But I knew it as the five-part ESPN series, and obviously an edit that won the Oscar. And... I really think this should have won. I'm gobsmacked that it didn't. It is tremendous. And I really want to see it again. And I want I want you to see it so I can sit and discuss it with you. I will watch um, it. I will watch it next week when I have a bit more free time. Easter break and all. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. I love that your head involuntarily bobs to that eye dent. Yeah, I've got, I've got groove. It's brilliant know. to me. It's just wonderful. Uh, so, uh, let's talk then about uh, Aftermath, which mm. this is uh, an unexpected one. This one, this uh, this comes to us from Elliot Lester, who was the director. Remember Blitz? Did we make you watch Blitz once? Yes. I'd never seen it, and I loved it. The I Jason Statham serial killer movie. <laughs> Did you interfere with me? <laughs> 
I love that movie so much. Jason Statham and Paddy Considine. Blitz is the greatest franchise launcher that never was. And isn't Ace called The Sorcerer's like, Apprentice. Yeah, I was just going to say over with Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah. Um, so this comes from Elliot Lester. This is uh, this is the story. Of, effectively, the first uh, like twenty minutes follow the plot of collateral damage in a strange way. So Arnold Schwarzenegger is uh, is a grandfather to be. He's a Ukrainian man living in the U.S. He's a construction for a construction site foreman. His family are flying. His wife and daughter are flying in to visit him. His daughter is pregnant. And he goes to the airport to meet her, only to discover their plane has been taken out in a tragic accident because something went wrong at air traffic control and two aircraft have been allowed to collide. So whilst... What's um, his name? Uh, whilst His name's Roman, sorry. Whilst Roman Melnick's uh, dealing with the aftermath of the death of his family, the air traffic controller, who's played by Scoot McNary, deals with his Incredible. world falling apart, namely the public turning on him, spray-painting his of house course, yeah. and basically having to give up his life and move along for the sake of his family. And what begins then is the the interconnection of these two these two men's lives and how they how they affect one another even when they're nowhere near each other and how sooner or later they are gonna have to cross paths. Uh, we have a clip. This is Arnie being offered a settlement by the airline. Let me explain this to you a little more um simply. If you don't sign this contract, you're probably not gonna get a penny for all of this. Now, $160,000 is a lot of money. Someone in your position shouldn't turn down such an offer. Look at this photo. Because he didn't before. Look at it. Look at it! So this has been written for the screen by uh, the writer of Enemy, which I never actually got to see. So this is... uh, Is it Javier Goulan? I believe so, yeah. Javier Goulan, I believe. Enemy's a good film. Yeah, I heard really good things. Wasn't that... uh, That was Denis Villeneuve, wasn't it? It was indeed, Denis. That's the one I haven't seen. Um, Incidentally, Villeneuve, The Village Where Beauty and the Beast is set. Mm. Is it really? It is. Yeah, uh, uh, Luke Evans specifically That's, refers to it as Villeneuve. That is the small provincial town. It is the small yeah. provincial town of Denis Villeneuve. Um, <laughs> so, he is very French. He is. Um, right, so this comes from that from uh, the writer of Enemy. And, and wow, the, the, actually, this is far more impressive than you'd expect. First of all, we expect good things from Scoop McNary. Scoop McNary is an actor so good, he managed to shine even in Batman v Superman. When he had no legs. When he had no legs by Lieutenant Dan, you ain't got no legs. You know, and he, he still managed to steal that film, even though he shared a scene with a jar of pee. And uh, yeah, he really did. Grandma's peach tea. Grandma's peach tea. And you, ex- you expect great things from Scoot Maneri. Elliot Lester, not so much a proven commodity, but Blitz was actually pretty glossy and pr- worked pretty well. Here, he's stepped back. He's allowing uh, Goulon's script just room to, to just burst out and explore the emotional destruction of these two men. But at the centre of it all is Arnold Schwarzenegger, who last year decided to show us that he can do drama in Maggie. This year has decided he's going to show us he can do drama well. Mm. And I never this... saw Maggie actually. Did you never see it? No. It was actually quite, quite good. Okay. I'll get around to it. I mean, it wasn't amazing, but it was pretty good. Um, but Schwarzenegger here, this is the weightiest role of his entire career. Mm. And that's not an exaggeration. He has never had this much emotional stuff to deal with in a film. And he's actually really good. 
He's tremendous yeah, in it. Seems like a very bizarre project for him to take, but yeah, good. It does. Good it, it helps that he's playing his age, mm. and th- I think that's a big factor in it. Yeah. He's playing a you know a European man in his sixties. Yeah. Know? So there's, there's there's no action to it. It's just no action at all. Nothing yeah. like that. It is a story about guilt and consequence. It is a story about moving on in in the face of tragedy, and it does work really really well. I have been I've always been a Schwarzenegger fan, even at his lowest points. I just managed to I've always managed to overlook <laughs> the ropier films. And I'm looking at you, Junior. Yeah. What? No. Wait a minute. You what? don't you don't like Junior? I'm just, I'm just I don't dislike. It. I just think it's the one of the lowest points. But it's, <sighs> Look, if you're cheering out Batman and Robin and Junior in the same year, something's wrong with you. That's a good point. Unless we forget, this is the year where Face Off, um, The Rock and Con Air all came out for Nick Cage. I don't know. The, I'll, I'll be on nineteen ninety seven. No, no, no. The, the Rock is ninety six. Uh, I think it's maybe a, maybe a country divide. A Con Air and Face Off in ninety seven. Yeah, they are. Yeah, because yeah. they were the Christmas. But, but DVDs. those are Nick Cage's like three. Bit, oh yeah, that was like, like, I didn't like him the same. Area. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, definitely. I see what you mean. Um, but yeah, I really liked it. I can't believe I liked it as much as I did, but I did. Um, right, I need to review Going in Style really, really quickly. Tell me about it because I was supposed to see it on Sunday, slept in, missed it, felt really bad. Need to send uh, a letter and some muffins to Zach Braff to apologise. Well, I was sat in an Odeon waiting for you on my lonesome. <laughs> you should have texted me, and then I would have actually gone. <laughs> you did text me to say you weren't going to make it because you'd forgotten. Yeah, that was after the fact. I, I know. Like, I know. As the credit started. <laughs> uh, right. So this is the uh, the story of three retired men: Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman, Alan Arkin. They are laid off um, when their company, that the plant that they work at, moves operations overseas, and their pension fund is dissolved as a result. This all happens just as Michael Caine finds himself sat in the middle of a bank robbery and looks at how they've, they've orchestrated this operation and decides, you know what, we can do that. We can, we can rob the people that have robbed us, effectively, and we'll be set for retirement. And, of course, the joke is that they're old, and here's a clip of them basically explaining it. I think I may rob a bank. Over there? I'm thinking of robbing a bank. Oh! I'm thinking about buying a Ferrari. Hmm. I just got drafted by the Knicks. Good week for everybody, huh? Good week. They're taking my house. They're taking your house and you didn't tell us? What are you going to do? Lend me money? We're all broke. We, we, the three of us can buy. These banks practically destroyed this country. They, they crushed a lot of people's dreams. And nothing ever happened to them. We're three old guys, we, we, we hit a bank, we get away with it, we retire with dignity. Worst comes to the worst, we get caught, we get a bed, three meals a day, and better health care than we get now. You can't fault him, can you? <laughs> you can't fault the logic at all, can you? Um, right, so here's the thing. Um, that scene, actually, weirdly, contains a visual metaphor that kind of sums the film up. Um, the way the visual metaphor is supposed to work is that they're having that conversation in, like, a senior citizen's community centre with an all-you-can-eat buffet, and it's just the sloshiest, most awful, mass-produced food, mm. to the extent that Morgan Freeman can't tell what half of it is. And, you know, the joke within the film is that, you know, by the end of the film, they'll get to go for a proper steak. But... You can't help but think that the actual mass-produced artificial quality of the buffet kind of, in a weird way, describes this film, which is so off the conveyor belt of over-60s comedies. I mean, it's a remake of a, of a 70s George Burns film, and I don't think the humour's particularly moved on. The most interesting and notable thing about Going in Style is 
really, that Zach Braff can actually function as a mid-budget director. Is he in the film at all? He's not in the film at all. And so there's no so, Donald so, Faison cameo either, before you ask. <laughs> I was going to ask, is Zach Braff in it at all as a struggling actor? Because I, <laughs> I feel like he's not a Zach Braff film until they see that. No, Zach oh, Braff is weird. not in this, and there's no cardigans anywhere to be seen. Yeah, you can't hear the shins once. It's, yeah. But that's it. It's it's strange that Zach Braff would pick a project like this, and especially when you consider it in light of his more interesting indie projects. I mean, I'm not going to make any comments about his Kickstarter stuff because I think we all know how I felt about that, which was it was ridiculous. Don't don't do that. Come on, you've got the money. Um, but yeah, it's it's weird to me that this is. It's got gloss and it's got style. It does play like now you see me for old people. Mm. And, you know, given the screening I went to, I was the youngest person in the room by three decades, and they seemed to love it. So, fair play. Obviously works to its tar- intended target audience. Fair enough. It seems it's kind to- of one of those films. It's like, if it serves a purpose, if it entertains a certain subsect of people, that's great. That's it. It, it is clear. It has a target audience. Its target audience is over 60. The, what, the, the, and the, me, the, I think. I think I would have really enjoyed yeah. it. And the over 60s who were in the screening seem to love it. Michael Caine is being Michael Caine. Morgan Freeman is being Morgan Freeman. Alan Arkin's being Alan Arkin. That's the movie. Oh, and by the way, um, uh, Matt Dillon is in this. Oh, really? Matt Dillon is the cop chasing them. And... Because why not? Is Maya Rudolph in this? Or have I made that up? No, no, Maya Rudolph's no. not in this. She was in Chips. She was in Chips, yeah. She was in Chips. Was in Chips. Uh, John Ortiz is in this, I think, though. Ah, exactly yeah. that was. That's, that's who that guy is. But, uh, oh, Christopher Lloyd is in this. There you go. Christopher Lloyd is, is ranting and raving his way through several scenes. But it does all come together like Now You See Me or an episode of Hustle. Um, as I say, if you if you are the target audience of this film, you're probably going to like it. There's a lot of jokes that you'll probably find quite humorous. Mm. I thought it was funny, but I didn't actually laugh. If you can imagine yeah, that. Yeah, you were just like, huh, that's, yeah, that's, like where, that. that's where I would laugh. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's where I would laugh. I'm, I'm going to watch it when it comes on Netflix. I, that's it. It is a film mm. that belongs Netflix or Amazon Prime. Totally that. I think it's just because it's, it's those three actors yeah. together just having clearly a ball. That's it. And it's they're fine. not doing anything outside their comfort zone. They are just being themselves. And that's fine. The film isn't bad in any way. I mean, the way the, the studio's gone about handling the, the press coverage for this, you'd think it was a real turkey. But uh, it, it's not. It's not awful. I've seen worse. I mean, I've seen worse this week. But have I? I've had. Hang on, I've not checked. Not, oh, actually, I've not seen worse this week. Tell a lie. No, no, I haven't. It's been a really good week. It's been a, good week. Been a, week, it's been so a really good week. So don't, we, don't feel too bad about this. It's like. true. We need to pick a film of the week, incidentally. So um, this is a real toughie. I'm going to say the best actual film on a cinematic and 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 artistic level is I Am Not Your Negro. Yeah. The one I enjoyed the most was City of Tiny Lights. So, I can't wait to watch them both. Yeah, I mean, and, and having said that, if you're a horror fan, stick around the podcast extras because we're going to talk about Raw, and that that's really something as well. And if you're a literature fan, do you know what? Everything this week was good. Everything is gold. Everything is awesome. There, there you go. Everything's awesome. Lego movie star, like, everything is. Just like Batman. Everything's cool when you're part of a team. Yeah. <laughs> so, next week. I can't so, remember the other line about. Everything is cool when you're part of Everything's awesome so, when you're living on a dream. dream. Yeah. yeah, there you go. See, we got there in the end. So, What's next week, man? Next week. What should we. Uh, oh, we need to make an agreement, you and I, by mm. the way, about. I think that's never going to happen, is it? <laughs> so, The Fate of the Furious is out next week. But it is officially yeah, it is. in the UK being called Fast and Furious 8. Can we agree to I'm, call I'm it... I'm going to call it Fate. Fate of the Furious. I'm going to call it Fate, because yeah, it's, it's great. It is. It's a good it, title. It is great of the Furious, is what it is. It, it is. Yeah. Although, I'll tell you what, I'll sh- I'll agree to shut it down to hashtag Fate, 
Hashtag fight. Hashtag fight. Yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, we've also got Clash, which is uh, set in the... Uh, it's set in the, during the Egyptian riots of a few years back. Uh, we've got Sense of an Ending as well. Right. Uh, we've got The Happiest Day in the Life of Ollie Markey, of which I know nothing. Neither do I. We've got The Transfiguration, which is a vampire movie it transpires. Uh, we've got The Handmaiden. Ooh, look forward to that. That's going to be a very big deal. And we've got one that I've been really looking forward to. I know you have as well. The Belko Experiment is out next week from producer James Gunn. I cannot wait Battle for that. Battle Royale and Office Space. Exactly. What could go wrong? What more do you need? John C. Riley with a staple gun is all I need. <laughs> um, so we've got all that to go... What? It's not John C. Riley. It's John, uh, uh, oh, John no. C. McKinley. John C. McKinley. Dr. Cox. John C. McKinley. I'm so sorry. Wow. It's Dr. Cox, not Dewey Cox. <laughs> oh, that was good. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we've got all that to come more next week. This has been a Caddy Snowbridge for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been Dr. Cox. <laughs> and we're back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay. And we're back with extra bits to the podcast, or as we always call them, Podcast Extras. A very clever title, indeed. Mm, indeed. <laughs> it uh, it makes sense. How are you uh, since last time I saw you, four minutes ago? Uh, well, I, I, I'll i be honest, it was touch and go for a minute there, but uh, I have yeah. a story to tell you. Um, uh, spin me a tale. I shall, weave, I, weave me a yarn. Yeah, I shall spin you a good yarn, sir. Um, you know uh, the movie I Am Not I am not Your Negro? Um, mm. I typed it into... You know the uh, the Apple stuff all has the same autocorrect system in now? I'm aware, yeah. So even if you're using like a text file on your MacBook, you just type it in, autocorrect kind of tries to tries its best to, to correct things for you. Um, it keeps changing the title of that film to I Am Not Your Negroni. 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 Like, like Gibroni. No, no, like like the cocktail, the Negroni. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, my, my favourite response to this was actually pointing this out to Alan the other day and getting the response, well, that's what you call black comedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a play on words, eh? That's a good one. Can I laugh? I've laughed. I've, I've you laughed can laugh at that it's a, because it's play on words, isn't it? It's quite. It's quite good. It's not a racial thing. It's fine because <laughs> it was obviously it was about a movie about black culture. And it was a, you know, black yeah, comedy, it's, yeah, it's good. It was good. Um, I thought wow. it was funny. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was a good one. Well but, done, uh, well done. So news me then, Mister Al. I will. I will news you. His uh, news me uh, and a news bush, if you will. It's a small, small little tidbit of news. Uh, Blumhouse. Yeah. Bringers of the Get Out. The Get Out. Um, the Get Out of the New England Get Out. <laughs> the New England Get Out. I know, we, yeah. I know we used not, New England not earlier. but the Get Down. But it sounds so good it when is, you say... It is New England, though, isn't it, in the in the movie? Don't they go to New England? I'm sure that was I've it. forgotten what film we've been talking about. In Get Out. In Get Out. Yeah, the house is in New England. Upstate, is it Upstate New York or New England? It's I thought it was like Upstate New York. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or it could easily be like New Hampshire. Of, or of the New Hampshire Get Out. Yeah. It has to be New something, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. But but never New Jersey. So what are Blumhouse doing? Uh, I actually really, really like this news, and I feel like it should have happened a while ago. We're going to make a show out of The Purge. That's brilliant. We, we said that a couple of years ago when we reviewed the second one. Yeah. You're making a show. One? Yeah. I think we said at the time, wouldn't it be great if they did like an anthology series where each episode <laughs> had like a different big name? Like Black Mirror. Where each episode Do had a different style, yeah. Yeah. It'd be amazing. them like, like uh, Easy. Remember that Netflix series Easy? How, how it yes. intersects. But... You remember that Netflix show Easy? What, with Joe Swanberg? Yeah, of course. Look, oh, yes, look, consider who I'm talking look, to. Look who you're talking to. The, a man who literally shows up in a Joe Swanberg costume. A man who's wearing a green flannel right now. <laughs> 
<laughs> I really should consider my audience when I'm, talking, when I'm saying these things out loud. But yeah, yeah, so they're doing a Purge TV series, huh? Yeah, I'm up for that. That's good. Do you know if James DeMonico is involved in any way? Because he's the, the director of the first three. Uh, so far, just Jason Blum has been saying uh, things about it. Blum himself. Ah, oh, fair, fair. Yeah. Good enough. I'm up for that. That should be good. Oh, do you know what? Film news. Uh, do, you, do you know about the, the Billy Crystal thing? That uh, he is hilarious. But Wait, he plays Miracle Max in Princess Bride. He um, does, yeah. Other things. He's hosted the Oscars nine times. Did, did you see his... He did a series with Josh Gad. Did you see that? Yeah, but never really got traction. He the got comedian. one season for comedians. I really liked it. I never watched it. It was great. It was yeah. based on... I think it was based on a German series. Right. Uh, but it was really good. It was just this, this old comedian and the jealousy between him and the younger comedian. Mm. And, I'll have to watch it somewhere. And it went both ways. It's it only one great. season, isn't it? Only one season. Very, very good. Very worth checking out. Um, but Billy Crystal is going to team up for the first time with Barry Levinson. Oh, right. The two, they have actually worked <laughs> on the same project before. They're both executive producers on Analyze This, which, of course, Billy Crystal starred yeah. in. The last one Barry Levinson brought us, correct me if I'm wrong, was that Nine Lives? Uh, yes, it was. It was. Uh, let's forget Amazing. that. Was it? Or was, was it, it Barry Sonnenfeld? Was it Barry, yeah, because I was confused with two Barrys. Oh, too many Barrys, man. Barry Levinson is Rain Toys Man. and Rain Man? Yeah. Yeah. Barry Sonnenfeld. Let's see, I've already confused him. Uh, Sonnenfeld is Get Shorty and Men in Black. Men in Black, yeah. 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 Uh, but no, they're going to team up for the first time, and uh, <laughs> you're going to love this because it sounds bonkers, right? The film is called Revival. And it is about a washed-up former Broadway legend, hmm. Billy Crystal, who is now eking Natural. out a living after a messy public divorce has left him penniless, and he's paying his way through the world writing jingles for adverts in order in order to pay for the medical care of his incontinent dog Julius, who is only, <laughs> who is his only friend. Oh, that sounds great! All the while, he's fighting an addiction to electronic cigarettes. And he discovers that a Staten Island high school is going to stage a production of his most famous musical, so he dedicates his life to shutting it down. <laughs> right. Billy Crystal is going to play the lead in this. Mm. Barry Levinson is going to direct it. And, yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm on board. They're like both going to produce it together. Like that. that sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds really, really good. I'm, I have I'm some news about uh, Steve McQueen, the one who's alive. Oh, the one that's alive and, yeah. and directed 12 Years a Slave. And he's got, what's the new one he's got? Uh, the Widows? new one is called Widows. Yeah. And would you know it, Colin Farrell, of all people, signed on to be in Widows. Did you say Colin Farrell or Connor Farrell? Colin. Oh, Colin. Who okay. is Connor? Connor oh. Farrell. He he plays a lot of villains in US TV shows. Right. Yeah. No. But Colin. Colin Farrell. Yeah. Okay. Of the soon-to-be Dumbo thing. We didn't cover a couple of weeks ago, but Daniel Collier signed up to that. I was going to say, yeah, that's what excites So uh, uh, Daniel uh, Clough from uh, from the Get Out yeah. of the New Hampshire Get Out. Of the New Hampshire Get Out. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to turn into a thing. That really is going to be a thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, there's some really good people there. Um, uh, Andre Holland, who uh, is in Moonlight. Oh, yeah, yeah. He plays... Uh, the younger, no, no, uh, Andre Holland, I believe, plays his boyfriend. Oh, cool. yeah. The, the, yeah, yeah, the friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I was trying to think what his character name is. Do you know? What? I can't remember. I can't remember. But uh, Michelle Rodriguez is in there. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki is going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Ah, uh, she was the villain in The Man from Uncle. Yeah, I really she liked her. I, yeah. I need to check the film out again. She was also a villainess in Grimsby, if you can remember, if you can believe that. Yeah, so she's yeah. she's got that that femme fatale thing down. She does, yes. Yeah, was she in the Night Manager as well? 
do you know I never saw past the pilot of the night manager yeah. and I will I will see it eventually because it was it was obviously a very cool very sexy show yeah but, uh, very, I never much much hyped uh, Liam Venison is in there as well of the Dublin Neesons of the Dublin Neesons yes <laughs> and uh, Viola Davis of uh, the the Oscar winning Davises oh of the Oscar yeah. Davises yeah. Oh, of, okay. of, of the Fences Davises of the Fences Davises yes. yeah. of those hidden fences <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> do you know what Michael Keaton's fine now yeah. he's fine he's just because the Oscars are over does not mean we're ever letting go of that joke though that is what forever what those two films are going to be referred to as no but uh, let well, me uh, let tell, me, tell me about a film I was just saying let me talk about Raw real quick then um, well not real quick I, th- I have a feeling you'll want to discuss this one actually Case so this is a French Belgian production it uh, obviously was met with controversy when it uh, when it debuted at the Toronto Film Festival. Certain audience members were carried out for medical assistance. They were made to feel ill. The movie is largely marketed as being one about cannibalism, but actually it's about a little bit more than that. You know the way that... Remember Ginger Snaps? I do. Right. Ginger Snaps was a Canadian werewolf movie that actually was more about female adolescence than it was about being a werewolf. This is the same exact kind of thing where it's more about, you know, the, you know, feminine self-discovery than it is actually about cannibalism. Um, <clears throat> your central protagonist is, is a young actress who's making a sort, making a feature debut here. Her name is uh, Garance Marillier. And, Good pronunciation. Well done. Thank you. I did that Kudos. off the cuff. Kudos, I right. was clinging to my chair for dear life as I did that off the cuff, just hoping it went right. Garance Marillier. Got it. Okay, good. <clears throat> she plays Justine. She is a young girl who leaves home for the first time to go to veterinary school, where her older sister, it happens, is already a student. Now, they've both been raised as vegetarians. But during a sort of hazing ritual <clears throat> that comes about you know, on sort of the first week, she's made to eat a raw rabbit kidney. And this then, of course, sets on a series of physical reactions where she gets, uh, I guess, a skin rash, her stomach just won't stop being irritated, she can't focus, she's sweaty, sort of numb, and it leads her to actually explore meat for the first time. So, you know, she goes out for shawarmas and burgers, etc. Shawarma. Shawarma. But, of course, none of this satisfies her quite the way she wants, and an unfortunate accident in which her sister loses a finger, and subsequently her consciousness, she's she's rendered unconscious as her younger sister is there with her severed finger, well, Justine tries human flesh for the first time, and wouldn't you know it... Loves it. Loves it, yeah, Yeah. loves it. And, of course, this then spirals out of control, and she becomes what, for the sake of music fans out there, we'll refer to as a fine young cannibal. But uh, I know, I know, I thought you'd like that somehow. But uh, it's really something. It it really is something tremendous, this film. It is, it's, hey, this is directed, and it's a uh, first-time filmmaker. It's it's, uh, Julia Ducorno. No, Decorno. She's written and directed this, and she has worked on other things, but this is her first film. And it's really, really something. She draws a lot of sort of vampiric imagery out of this because obviously of the, the consuming of the flesh and all the blood. Mm. There's a lot of vampiric imagery drawn. The performance at the centre of it all, Garance Romilier, is absolutely tremendous. She's really something here. It's an amazing lead, and the fact that it's someone so inexperienced, she's been in a couple of shorts, and that seems to be about it. I think there was a TV movie somewhere on the line. But she is 
awesome here. If you are going to this for the gory flesh-eating side, you might be a little bit let down. I mean, it's not as all-consuming as you think, no pun intended. <laughs> but um, it's not the front and foremost thing about the film. There's mm. actually more scenes of animal mutilation, because obviously it's a veterinary set in a veterinary school. There's more scenes of autopsying animals, for instance, than there are actually of flesh-eating. And... It's it's more about that. It's, it's about that very carnal desire, the sort of the, the consumption of of well, not really. It's kind of the consumption of adulthood in a very strange way. The, the sort of the, the the adolescent need to to move on. It's genuine. Its atmosphere is just palpable. It really permeates the screen. It's got this wonderful sort of imposing score to it all uh, by Ruben Impens. You've got uh, by sorry by Jim Williams. Ruben Impens uh, provides some really stark visuals for the sort of cinematography at all. It really really works. It is bleak. It is. It is imposing. It's, it, it insists that you sit there and pay attention. And the performance that's leading it is really, really something. I mean, based on the buzz, was this something that you were ever going to seek out, do you think? Uh, yeah. And I believe that I still will seek it out. Mm. Um, I guess every once in a while you get films like this where it, it causes a stir and you hear rumours of people being sick in screens and I think it's really been played up. Blood and, yeah, it, I mean, it often is. It was a little bit like when when Dim, when Nymphomaniac came out, and obviously with some Very particularly much. graphic sex scenes in that film. Um, also, what was the other film by Gaspar Noe that came out? Love. Oh, Love, Love yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you hear reports of people in like certain film festivals mm. fainting and being needed to carry out and stuff, and... He just thinks it's probably been a little blown out of proportion. I think in this case, that's that's very, very much what's happened. Um, I do think, though, as a character-driven film, as a story about self-discovery and about female adolescence, this is genuinely something to behold. Um, but it is, I think it's taken the throne from uh, Ginger Snaps for me, because Ginger Snaps owned that for, was it been 15, 16 years? Something like that, yeah. And this, for me, has, has really taken that throne. It's it's really well written. Actually, what's not been said about it is it's actually quite a funny film. It's quite a humorous film. It understands... It, the film seems to understand that horror works with humanity and humour. It's the same trick that Get Out managed to play so effectively. The idea that... I mean, in the case of Get Out, it was more humour than anything else. This, though, really does play on the idea of, you know what, this is about character. Please start to love and respect these characters. And you do. You can't help but go along with it and... I mean, I came out from there at the end and just thought, wow, that's that's really something. I mean, it's stuck with me now, but it's stuck with me as a character story rather than anything sort of on the horror side. But, you know, obviously there's hype for a reason. It is something, but it's not quite what it's made out to be. Mm. Brilliant, but for the different reasons than you've heard. <laughs> and you can't see this, but Van was pointing at me. I was pointing. Shaking his hand. Very- Shake harder, boy. <laughs> <laughs> harder, harder, I say, Harder. <laughs> What's in the news cycle then, good sir? What's in the news? What's in the news? Uh, we should have spoken about this in the main thing, but cool. I mean, frankly, I forgot. Uh, but I am looking forward to it. I know you're not, and I'm sure we're going to discuss it. Cool. But we'll see. Um, so it was announced over the weekend, I believe, that uh, Joss of the Whedons. Oh, of of the uh, New Hampshire Whedons? No, we've done New Hampshire. We've done New Hampshire. What of else the Seattle have? Whedons? I don't know where he's from. No, Where is he from? Let's find know. that out. Let's find that out. I'll, I'll wick you. I'll wick you. Van, Van's going to find out where he's from, and then he can be the of somewhere. <laughs> uh, and I will tell you all about Batgirl. He's going to make him a Batgirl film for DC. Oh. I'm a fan of this. And I say that as someone who is not a fan of Buffy. 
Yeah, you're not, are you? You're I'm not. Your wife's a big fan because your wife and I have geeked it. out endlessly over Buffy in front of you, actually. We yeah, just... I mean, and your significant other are usually like, oh, Buffy. <laughs> and, I've, and it's not for lack of trying. And I love what I love everything else that Joss has done. Dude, I, I have Joss Whedon things tattooed on my body. I know. And I love Firefly, I love Serenity, and I obviously love the Avengers stuff that he's done. Mm-hmm. I love. I love Toy Story and he wrote the freaking screenplay. He did, he did indeed. Um, yeah. And um, I love what he does for strong female characters. And I mean, for me, this is like a meeting of amazing It's a perfect marriage of, of, of man and material, really, isn't it? Yeah, and he's just got the best kind of sensibilities to shake up DC a little bit. And and I love that he's going to be someone who's worked for Marvel and DC. It's great. He is. I mean, it's a very rare thing, actually. It's not very happened rare. yet, has it? Not well, not, like not it someone somewhere? to be that high profile. Like, you, you'll get people like uh, like David, uh, David uh, Desmorchin, who's been in Dark Knight and Ant-Man and stuff like that. And Yes, he was in The Flash recently. He was, yeah, he was. As, uh, as Abracadabra. I really enjoyed that episode. Uh, Joss Whedon is from New York, by the way. So, uh, the New York State Whedons. Yes, yes, so Joss of the New York Whedons. The New York Whedons. The New York Whedons, yes. Um, I'm, I'm a very big fan of Joss Whedon. I'm, I was deeply saddened, actually, to that, that I got to meet Joss Whedon, and it just so happened to be for his worst film. Which was, oh, for, for Age of Ultron. Yeah, for Age of Ultron, which I still maintain, by the way. If you stand, you know, a, a decent distance from the uh, from the poster, because of the small print they've used for the subtitle, it genuinely does say Avengers Ass of Ultron. It really does. Next time you see that poster, just look at it. It looks like it says Ass of Ultron. Mm. I was so excited for that film. I mean, I, I wasn't I wasn't crestfallen by it. I liked it. it I liked good. it. Um, I just didn't love it. And I loved the first one. No, yeah, it just it felt very much like a chess move. Kind of a yeah. kind of a film, and at this point, you're going to get that, unfortunately. Also, you know, you would thought, you know, thought after that many Marvel movies, it would be nice if at any point they had worked out what the hell Jarvis is actually meant to be. Because last time I yeah. uh, last time I checked, he was a cloud based interface, yeah, and now he seems now to exist on a single computer. Yeah, and now he's just in in Vision's head mm. or whatever. But um, I mean, it's it's nice to give uh, Paul Bettany a body. I'm sure that he. he would well, I'm just that. saying, Tony Stark can chuck out fifty Iron Man suits at a time, but he never thought to create a backup of Jarvis. Yeah, I mean. Tony Stark built Iron Man in a cave with a box of scraps. <laughs> Which is my favourite moment. Will my- you? Just, you won't turn down any chance to quote Jeff Bridges, will you? <laughs> in a cave with a box of scraps. It's the best bit. It's the best thing. Maybe the best thing in any Marvel film. It's, it's incredible. It's possible. I mean, I don't know. Sam Rockwell gets some good bits in, in, in the Iron Man one. Too, yeah. yeah. Oh, like... I, I kind of wish that we just didn't cast Sam Rockwell and then cast him for something bigger. I know, I wish he'd done something more. Although he did, he did get to reprise the role, though, mm. in in the one-shot, the, the Ben Kingsley one-shot. That's true, yeah. With Scoot McNary. That's Scoot yeah. McNary's Marvel he's, role. Oh, my God, he's, he's yeah, man yeah. who walks between worlds. He does. Yeah. Um, the, actually, my, uh, my one of my favourite villain exchanges is the one where, uh, in Iron Man 3, when Guy Pearce is saying, my father, as you say, the early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. And minutes later, he asks yeah. Tony Stark, he's like, oh, I'm still trying to figure out what happened to the first mouse. First mouse. Yeah. yeah, That's a good moment, yeah. I like that moment. It's very uh, Shane Blackian. It is. Isn't it? But, uh, yeah, yeah, sadly, we've got no casting update from uh, the Predator. I feel like no. that, that was a weekly thing. It uh, was, wasn't it, for a while? Actually, did we talk uh, about uh, EJO? EJO? Edward James. Oh, Thomas. no, we didn't. Yeah. Edward James. He has joined the Predator. He has. I don't think we spoke about that. That's cool. Also, also a Marvel actor? What is he in Marvel? He is one of the former directors of S.H.I.E.L.D. Is he? He is. Oh, is this former... He's actually... You have this all the time, because I I don't really Mm. watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm just... 
Yeah. Well, it's, I, it's a gap in my Marvel. Novel. I still count it as part of the MCU. So, like, you know, every, every, every now and again, I'll say something like, "Oh, Patton Oswalt would be amazing for this." But then, of course, Patton Oswalt shows up quite a lot in Agents of Shield. And, he, he does, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, uh, yeah, well, you know, um, Edward James Olmos is uh, the director of what is referred to at one point as the real Shield. After Shield falls in Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Phil Coulson, the resurrected, you know, former yeah. agent, is then made the director son, of... Son of Cole. Yeah, yeah, son of Cole. He is made uh, the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. by Nick Fury. He then leads it for, I think, about a year until it's discovered that there's, a, there's like, another secret organisation working against them. And mm. it turns out it's not Hydra this time. It's actually other former directors of S.H.I.E.L.D. who disagree with how Coulson's doing things and want to run their own way. That's pretty cool. And they're based on like that. what seems to be a helicarrier, but it's actually in the ocean. It's a helicarrier. Most of them are killed by Inhumans anyway, so, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, have we spoken about the Inhumans show? Not really, we haven't. Yeah, because it was a few weeks ago, they announced Hmm. the cast. Yes, haven't they got Anson Mount as as, as As Black Black Bolt? Bolt, Which is great. I think that's really cool. Well, Anson Mount, I used to... I wish if Anson Mount was going to show up in a film at some point. Well, Um, he's been a subject of ridicule for years, because he starred in that Britney Spears movie, uh, Crossroads... Yes. He was the love yeah. interest in that. He had and then uh, he sort a show of called Hell on Wheels. That's it. He faded away until Hell on Wheels. Yeah. Um, I don't know that much about him, except for, like, he's he's quite a foreboding-looking man. I have friends who, who watch that program, and they are obsessed with it. It's it's mm. like a Deadwood-type thing. But it's, right. it's about the America, the building of the American railroads. He's got very he's got very striking features, hasn't he? He has. He most definitely has. But now he's got a Marvel role, so... That's cool, and quite a meaty one. Well, I'm sure Vin well. Diesel's annoyed about it, but because uh, it was the one Vin Diesel he always was, wanted. Yeah. And, yeah, didn't he put something on Facebook years ago? Like, yeah, yeah. He, he was really angling for it. He really wanted it. But, you know what, it's just not to Being be. To it, but, um, yeah, it's been described as sort of like a... Marvel meets Game of Thrones thing, which I mean, yeah, I heard that. Throwing fr- fr- a bit of Star Wars, oh, I know, that. just every property. Let's just see who else is in this. Because who's the guy from Game of Thrones who's in it? Ramsey Bolton, Ramsey Bolton, you and Iwan Iwan Rian, yeah, Iwan Rian. Ken Long, isn't it? How do you pronounce his name? It's something like Ewan Rian, I think. Ewan Rian. Yeah. Well, he's, he's, really, he's a really good singer as well. I tell you, who would, would you know it? He's Welsh. Would you, is he? Would I you never would have guessed that from, from, from my name. Yeah, yeah he's of the Cardiff Rians. Uh, but, but, uh, but Abadir, uh, Rion, I believe. <laughs> uh, one one casting uh, bit in that who I'm 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 really actually very happy about. Surinder Swan has been cast mm. as uh, Black Bolt's wife, Medusa. Yes, and I like Surinder Swan very much. She, I first saw her years ago on Smallville, and she played Zatanna. And then mm. she was in. Do you remember they did a show called Breakout Kings? I the, remember that. It yeah. was set in the same universe as Prison Break, because they they concluded the teabag character in that. And now Prison Break's back, so they've kind of narratively painted themselves into a corner. By the way, I saw it today. It's great. The Revival, yeah, the I, need revival. To get on that. I need to get on that. Better than the X-Files and 24 ones, put it that way. Ah, that's not saying a lot. But uh, uh, let's, let's Swan, this could be awesome. pretty cool. Let's, yeah. let's take with uh, a slight bit of Marvel news. Okay. Uh, Stan the Man, Stan Lee, Stan of the Lee, of the, of the Marvel Lees. <laughs> oh, is he from Queens? I think he's from Queens. So he's, he's, he's from Queens. I think he would be Stanley of the New York Lees. Uh, of, 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 of the New York Lees. Actually, he's Leibowitz, isn't he? He's real, yeah, because yeah. his name was Stanley Leibowitz. Yeah, I think he's And then he, he, he just became Stanley, and then, of course, Stan Lee, which is genius. <laughs> Do you know what Albert Brooks' real name is? No. You won't believe it. Go on. Albert Brooks' real name, Albert mm-hmm. Einstein. 
No way. Yeah. Are, are you being serious? I'm, I'm, I'm being alone? serious, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, that was a fact that I learned ages ago, and then I watched uh, Broadcast News uh, for the first time. Yeah, you said I, you watched this. Yeah, which was great. I I'm feel jealous. like you've never seen... That. Get on it. I will. Great. I will. I'm a big uh, James L. Brooks fan. You know what my favourite... In fact, this I, might I will be get James. back to Stanley, but yeah, carry on. Yeah, this <laughs> might, might, might be... Uh, I might be wrong. I think this is a James L. Brooks film. Uh, my favourite Albert Brooks one is uh, Defending Your Life. Mm. With, well, that's uh, his, his own film. Yeah, that as, yes, that's the one. Sorry. Um, with uh, Meryl Streep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like that, that film. I, I need to get more into the films that he has made as a director. Because mm. there's one with, uh, with Debbie Reynolds as his mum. Oh, which one was that? Because there was a whole thing where they were put online, weren't they? They were put on streaming platforms. Yeah, they were put on Netflix. Yeah. I'll share it out. But def- Defending Your Life, that's one of my favourites. It's, it's one gooey out. as all hell, but yeah. it, it's really something. But like, the writing for those films are usually so... He's crazy. Isn't he? Well, that's the one that's set in the afterlife. It's set in sort of purgatory. Right. It's set in purgatory, like the waiting period when you decide if you're going to heaven or hell, and two people fall in love. <laughs> and uh, they they may get separated by fate or not, but uh, yeah. that sounds really and Purgatory good. happens to look like a very glossy sci-fi version of Los Angeles. <laughs> of course it does. Yeah. yeah. So, um, back to uh, Stanley Stan of, yeah. of, of the New York Lees. Uh, he has filmed his cameo for Avengers: Infinity War. Excellent. So, so is he finally going to be the Watcher? Oh, it would be so perfect if he was. I the know. Watcher. Wouldn't it be great? It would be really good, wouldn't it? I would love it. I would love it so freaking much. Uh, Cameron Gillan on her Instagram page took a picture of him. Uh, took a picture of him. Took a picture of her and Stanley. Oh, she was in the full Nebula makeup, wasn't she? She was indeed. Yeah, uh, which I have a little tiny uh, Lego version of. Oh, you do, don't yes, you? I do I've now. seen your your Guardians of the Galaxy Lego. I'm I'm very much in love with the little baby Groot that you've got, which is just adorable. Oh, it's like it's the size of a stamp. It's smaller than a stamp. It's, it's smaller than a stamp. Oh, it's great. Um, funnily enough, I, uh, my, my favourite photo of the last week is Karen Gillan in the Jumanji uh, costume with her two stunt doubles from Jumanji, also yes, in the that. same Jumanji costume, which, if they actually yeah. sold as a maxi poster, would adorn the wall of every hall of residence in the United Kingdom. I do agree. Um, it's great that she is getting so much work. And, um... I know, who'd have thought it? Is she yeah. now the most successful Doctor Who girl? Oh, yeah. I absolutely. think she's got to be, sure. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's her and Catherine Tate, surely. Well, I don't because Catherine Tate and, and hasn't Billy, and Billy really Piper. gone. Billy Piper, really broken oh, I would say Karen Gill and Billy Piper. Well, yeah, but Billy Piper's never really done any big movies, not certainly not Hollywood. She's in uh, City of Tiny Lights. <laughs> she's in City of Tiny Lights. She's she's been in loads of shows though, and um, yeah, I mean, Billy Piper's career is far exceeded what I thought it would be. Not that I thought she was going to fail, but like, well, yeah, I don't know. I, I still want to I like know. I, really like I, I still want to know what the song was about. What does she want to do? She's endlessly uh, saying because we want to. Tell us what you want to do, Billy. Yeah, and if you give us some kind of hints, some clue. <laughs> what do you want from me, Billy? <laughs> uh, Daniel Craig. That's not what she wants, but this okay. is just a segue. This is my bluntest segue ever. Hmm. Um, he may be persuaded to be Bond again. Yeah, uh, I'm fine with that. All I want to know is is when are we gonna. Just know more. I just, but when are you going to go away and give I, us Damien Lewis? Come on. I just want to s- stop having these like, oh, he may, he may yeah. not. Look, do it or don't. Yeah. Don't make a meal out just, of it. Come you know, on. Get off a pot. Exactly. Just, you yeah. know what I mean? Just do it or don't. Just stop teasing mm. us. Come on, man. Just. I, I think he's still got one really great Bond film in him. Well, you know, one out of five ain't bad. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love so Skyfall. Don't be sad. I, I adore Skyfall. I hate the 
shit out of Casino Royale, though. Really? You're the only person I've ever met that's ever said that. It's a movie called Casino Royale that spends literally 25 minutes in a casino. Come on, the thing's more than two hours long. Yeah, but Mads Mikkelsen is a bad guy, and he plays uh, Le Chiffre, which is a great name. Yeah, but just because Mads Mikkelsen in it is not a reason to redeem a film. Yes, it is. <laughs> Uh, I, I will... Well, no, hang on. He, oh, wasn't, right. he wasn't in Thor The Dark World, um, was he? Um, no, he wasn't, because obviously he's in uh, Doctor Strange. Yeah, but what it, were Mads Mikkelsen to have a, have gone through with his appearance in Thor The Dark World, in the role that obviously went to Christopher Eccleston, wastefully, um, would it necessarily have, have made that a better film? I mean, I think the film's fine. I, I enjoyed it. I think it's fine as well. People seem to really hate on People it. People rag it's on just it. Like, yeah, it's just like, I think the biggest problem you had, with you had, is... You had a good two hours out of the movie's... One cold October night, so uh, shut up. Oh, no, no, Thor, Thor is great, and it, the problem is that it changes its plot every 20 minutes. Now, don't get it wrong, every time are it we, does... Are we, are we talking about the first Thor now, or...? The third Thor. The third Thor. The third I, can't, Thor. I can't say F. So I can't just... wait for the next one, because then it's going to be Thor 3 in 3D. Oh, genius. <laughs> I really want a fourth a fourth Thor, so that it becomes Thor 4. Thor 4. Thor 4. Thor 4 3D. And drummers will be going mad. Oh, if it's in 4DX. Can I get Thor 4 in 4DX? (laughs) Oh my god, that'd be amazing. Because, oh no, it's 4DX 3D, so it'd be Thor 4 3 3DX. Oh, heck no. Got this is a really boring podcast for anyone now. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, we don't. Is Mads Mikkelsen in uh, A Quiet Passion? No, but Keith Carradine is. I want to see it then. Remember Keith Carradine? Of course I do. Of the... <laughs> of the Kung Fu Carradines? <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone know where they're from? No. It is David Carradine who died a couple of years ago, isn't it? I believe so. Bill uh, under... of Kill Bill. Yeah. Under, under rather mysterious circumstances. Well, I don't think they were that mysterious, case. I think we all knew what was going on. <laughs> I know, but I don't just want to, for the sake of his family, yeah, that's of, of the existing Carradines. Of the existing Carradines, yeah. They're not related to Ava Carradine, are they? I have no idea. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, so uh, Keith Carradine, who I think to most modern audiences is probably best known as the serial, killing hunt, serial killer hunting FBI agent from Dexter. And because he's in a couple seasons of that, actually. Um, so he plays the father of Emily Dickinson in A Quiet Passion, which is the new film by Terence Davis, a biopic in which Cynthia Nixon of Sex and the City fame plays Emily Dickinson. And I can't stand Cynthia Nixon. I find her the most boring presence in anything. She manages to be the, manages to be the least likable person in, a, in Sex and the City. And that's really saying something. So you can imagine this biopic of, of Emily Dickinson actually being interesting and showing us how the great poet, you know, came into her own. That's, that's really saying something. Here's a clip. Will you go with us to church, Miss Buffum? Of course not. Going to church is like going to Boston. You only enjoy it after you've gotten home. We are to pray for the repose of our late pastor's soul. Doesn't that rather depend on where it's gone? <laughs> we shall become fast friends. Of course we shall. I'm irresistible. Everyone says so. When the new pastor does arrive, you must point him out to me. So that you too may be saved. No. So that I will know whom to avoid. So this is... We jokingly said last week that, uh, you know, did, did we learn nothing from love and friendship? And apparently we did, because this is very much in the same vein. Um, this is very much a witty, you know, sharply barbed period piece, as well as being a biopic of, of Emily Dickinson. And, wow, actually, there's a lot going for this. The performances are great. I mean, Cynthia Nixon is absolutely unbelievable in the lead. Genuinely. 
And I feel like I'm betraying myself because in the last month I've praised Anne Heche and now Cynthia Nixon. So And Emma Watson. And Emma Watson. And there was someone Come else. on, Miles Teller, bring out a film. Yeah, come on, Miles Teller, bring it home, buddy. Um But yeah, this is really something. I thought the relationship between uh, Emily and her sister, who's played here by is it Jennifer Ale, I want to say. E H L E. I'm not sure. Uh, I thought that was an intriguing relationship. I was quite fascinated by that. Um, the performances are just, they're quite gripping. The, the relationship between Emily and her father, who's Keith Carradine's character, is, at once, it's something based in animosity, but at the same time, a great deal of tenderness. And I really bought into it. I thought this was actually a lot more impressive than I expected it to be. I laughed a lot. I was quite moved by it. And I came away thinking... Actually, I genuinely, I would watch that again. That's It's like Love and Friendship. I would actually be very intrigued to see how it stood up next to Love and Friendship. Because the kind of performance that uh, Kate Beckinsale gives in that film versus Cynthia Nixon's here, Kate Beckinsale goes a little bit more kind of sharply comedic. This one has a little bit more nuance, a little bit more texture to it. But it's still kind of funny. The one-liners you'll pull away from this. I mean, you just heard in the clip, going to church is like going for Boston, you only enjoy it when you got home. It, they're great. There's some absolutely wonderful writing in this, and I, I really was taken taken aback by it. But uh, didn't expect to be. But like I say, it has been a terrific week for films. Like, I never when I when I got up on Monday morning, I did not think this week was going to be this. I mean, Going in Style is the worst movie out this week, and even that's not offensively bad. Yeah, you know, I guess it's, it's, it's enjoyable enough. I mean, well, Going in Style is no chips, put it that way. <laughs> Uh, the faintest uh, of praise. The faintest of praise. Have you seen the uh, picture, by the way? Uh, we put it on our feed. It was actually taken by Chris Wilson. And it was in a bar in uh, Loughborough where they had... Well, all the best bars are. Yeah, they had positioned their ads for chips above the urinals. Right. Which you, you can't help but think sends exactly the right message. <laughs> but please, that's, that's a target audience. Please, evacuate your bladder as you watch our film. <laughs> and, yeah... So, by the way, our last moment of Cage was from uh, inside the actor's studio with Nicolas Cage. Which I implore you all to go watch. Did you get to watch it in the end? I've well? not seen it yet, but I will. I may do that tonight. I'm, I, I don't know if he ever did another one. I'm hoping he did, because it only covers up to sort of millennial kind of time. Mm. I think it sort of ends around the point that he did bring out the dead. But, uh, yeah. What I mean, a weird film that is. I know. Yeah. I would really like to see one where he, where he talks I'm about... See, I'm going to see him work with Apprentice. Marty Scorsese again. <laughs> Marty Scorsese. Oh, oh, Nicholas Cage tidbit. I, I, I gleaned from it, though, that I absolutely loved. Well, he, as he's obviously well-known, he chose his surname because of Luke Cage. We all know this. We all know this. Um, he almost named himself Nick, Nick Faust. Really? That apparently was one of his options, was Faust. Faust. That's Which, great. That's brilliant. I, <laughs> I thought that was great. I would... I, do you know what? He'd suit that as well. Nick mm. Faust. He could pull that off. <laughs> yeah, totally. So anything left in the news? Anything left in the old tank? Not really. There's a couple of things well, I'll probably save for next week. Oh, that's fair enough, though. Well, yeah. Have you got anything to talk about? You want to you confess anything? Any films you've seen this week? Confess any films that I've seen? Other than Ooh. Ooh. you've obviously uh, divulged about. Uh, actually, what did I, I watch Time After Time at the weekend. Yeah, yeah. 1979 H.G. Wells' Jack the Ripper time travel fantasy movie. Mm. uh, in which Not enough of them. Not not enough of them. But it's it's now a TV series that's been cancelled after five episodes. 
And uh, this is, I, there's one bit I've got to tell you about that, by the way. Uh, so the movie stars uh, Malcolm McDowell as H.G. Wells, stars uh, David Warner as Jack the Ripper. The whole premise is Jack the Ripper steals H.G. Wells' time machine, zips forward to the present day, which is 1979 at that time. H.G. Wells follows him and teams up with uh, a young woman, played by a 20, 20-something Mary Steenburgen. Who it turns out has just always got it going on. She's great. She's great. She 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 really is. she's still a fox to this day, and I'm sure she's about eighty years old now. I don't think she's that old, but yeah. She that's, that's how old, old must Mary Steenburgen be now? Mary Steenburgen has has looked the same age for forty years. What are you What are you saying? I'm gonna guess she is seventy one years old. Right, that is that is my honest to goodness guess. I bet you she's seventy one years old. She is sixty four. Damn it! Okay. I didn't know Go on. she was married to Malcolm Adele. Oh, wow. That makes so much sense now. For, for 10 years. For 10 years. When from? 1980 to 1990. So the year after time after time. There you are. So, the year after time after time. I've just said the same words in sequence twice. Never mind. <clears throat> so, the whole thing about watching time after time now is that all the dialogue and the jokes that she has in the film are hilariously inappropriate in a modern context. I can't imagine her being married to... I can't imagine Malcolm McDowell being married to anyone. Good God, Malcolm McDowell. Just, there's something sinister about that I man. My, I love him for it, but... My first experience with Malcolm McDowell would be uh, Star Trek Generations. Really? Yeah, the, the whole Nexus... Thing. Oh, I don't yeah. know. I think that's my first. Yeah, I didn't Clockwork Orange for me as a kid, but uh, no, I saw Clockwork after Star Trek. I saw it on dodgy VHS when I was very young. Uh, benefits of a, an international uh, upbringing, but right. uh, <laughs> but anyway, the whole thing is they've made a TV series out of it now in the US. They've cancelled after five episodes. The Mary Steenburgen role. Have a guess who plays it? Mary Steenburgen, same age. No, no, Jenny from the Block, Genesis Rodriguez, yo. She is not the Jenny from the Block. She's my Jenny from the block. She's the Genesis from the block. She's okay. Of the uh, of the New York blocks. <laughs> of the New York blocks. <laughs> I do love Genesis Rodriguez. The weird thing is, I saw I the like series well. before I saw the movie, and I thought, "Wow, Genesis Rodriguez is really hamming it up in this." I then watched the movie, and I'm like, "Actually, no, she's dialed it way the hell down. Mm. She really has." But uh, oh my. that's that's my experience. That's my cinematic experience for the week. Yeah. Um, the only I, thing I've really watched has been broadcast news, and I enjoyed it, and I'm going to watch uh, Terms of Endearment with Cassie. All right. Yeah, because okay. James Love Books, man. I've got a documentary called Countdown so to good. Zero that I'm looking forward to watching. Okay. Uh, I've also got Two Lava, Two Lantula to watch. We should be watching it right now. We, we should be, shouldn't we? Um, the two, well, that's, that's the return of Steve Gutenberg and his of Police course. Academy chums. We need more, we need more uh, Gutenberg. We do, yeah. I mean, thanks to the Stonecutters, he is a star. <laughs> God bless you, Stonecutters, although you've all been slacking lately. Um, <laughs> well, oh. did invent the electric car. <laughs> um, do you know, I had a weird one the other day. I was reading a headline that the, the headline read, the writer of Shrek 5 um, says he's reinventing the franchise. I misread <laughs> that, genuinely misread it as Sharknado 5. To which my thoughts were, yes, please, reinvent it, that franchise. It doesn't need reinvented. It, it's it needs perfect. fresh gold. Perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. Well, you know, once you've had Frankie Muniz in there, where, where you got left to go, man? And that's what he says to all of his uh, sexual partners. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note... Here it is. <laughs> your moment of cage. You, you spent some time, or maybe you still do, with the Charlie Sheen. Do you, yeah, Charlie. Do you, are you guys buddies? I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we, what, you, you know, he went through a uh, kind of a uh, an exciting period. <laughs> what? Um, and he said, 
He says that he, uh, so, some of what he was uh, demonstrating he got from you. For example, uh, referring, to, referring to his girlfriends as goddesses. He says goddesses is a term that he actually uh, heard you use. Well, there, there is some truth in that, yes, because we were flying from L.A. to San Francisco, and I did refer to a flight attendant as a goddess, mm -hmm. but I had no idea that 23 years Charlie would make it an international reference point for the women in his life. Yeah. <clears throat> but I had much worse uh, things to uh, be concerned about on that plane than that. Like, like. Well, I, I, I did not know that Charlie had an eight ball of cocaine wrapped around his ankle. Um, nor did he know that halfway through the flight... Now, remember, this was over 20 years ago, and it was a very innocent time, mm. that I was going to grab the PA and announce to the passengers that I was the pilot and mm -hmm. that I was not feeling well and that I was losing control of the <laughs> well, aircraft. No, you can't. You can't. Uh, no. And then when we landed, I'm not the, the pilot, uh, the, the pilot came out know, and I'm not feeling well. <laughs> and understandably, he was very angry. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I quote, he said, quote, not cool, not cool, uh -huh. end quote. And then he pointed his finger in my face furiously, at which point the door to the aircraft whooshed open mm -hmm. like a nuclear gateway to a bank vault to reveal. Uh, six fully armed police officers. Oh, buddy. And the first thing I did was say, you know, first of all, he had nothing to do with it. And I pointed to Charlie. Oh. And then I just very gingerly, very politely, very delicately, kindly talked my yeah. way out of going to airport jail. 